0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet, and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net.
1: Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable, contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com.
2: All right, all right. We are here on Redefining Technology on IATSP Magazine. And I'm flying solo today. I'm thinking flying, I'm thinking transportation, I'm thinking infrastructure. I'm starting to think about the few things that we can touch on today with our guest. And we could we were kind of chatting before starting because our guest, Frankie Wood Black, she has experience in, in a lot of different aspects of science. I'm gonna go there. And she's a physicist, she's also a chemistry major and PhD, and she's working in the in the gasoline industry, I, I'm, I'm understanding for a while, but we're not here really to talk about gasoline, but we're going to talk about where do we go now, literally, with cars and airplanes and all the things that we're so used to, to put gas in it, and her experience in that, and the vision for the future, I'll say, will be kind of the core of our conversation here redefining technology and see how that affects society. So... Frankie, uh, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
2: Of course, when when we saw your uh, expertise, I'm like, I don't know if I want to talk about gasoline, which has done so much for society and for you know our country for developing and and all the things that we do make things in a way easy and independent, as you mentioned. So I want to go there as well. But also, we know we're facing certain reality nowadays, and we do have alternative to that. So maybe your experience in that can give us a a perspective in what we can go with renewable energy, maybe. So let's start with you. A little introduction about yourself. I I tried to say a couple of things, but I'm sure there is way more where that comes from. So nobody can introduce itself, herself, yourself better than you. So please do that. Well, thank
3: you. Well, I'm Frankie Wood Black. I'm a Ph.D. in physics. I'm a graduate of Oklahoma State University. Um, I did undergraduate research in the solar hydrogen economy during what we laughingly refer to now as one of the first energy crises back in the 70s. I started uh, after I graduated from high school in the early 80s, was working on the solar hydrogen economy. And then I went to work on small particles at Oklahoma State, and then I ended up working for a petroleum company, and I spent 18 years with that petroleum company, and then I went on to do environmental consulting. So I've been in a number of refineries in the United States, dealing with producing of fuels, um, chemicals, and that aspect, So I, but I also worked in sustainability and in the environment So I I was looking to make how we produced gasoline and diesel in a more environmentally friendly way and being able to optimize and have the product that we produce for cars work better. So that's one of the aspects. And then after doing that for a long time, I decided to go back into into the uh, academia world. And now I deal with. Um, wind technologies and looking at renewables and and come full circle, looking back at hydrogen, solar, and wind as we are facing our transition. You know, as somebody once said, if you listen to the Stoics, it, nothing's really new. We just come back to it time and time again, because if you look at biodiesel, Biodiesel was actually invented in the 1880s to, you know, before we actually dealt with petroleum products and you could run a car on biodiesel and now we're actually building big, huge biodiesel plants. So those are it's, it's, it's fun to be in this this space because we're all dealing with energy, but we also have to deal with the society aspects. Because here in the U.S., we're used to being able to get in our car and go anywhere we want to anytime we want to. And, you know, we're going to have to change our behavior if we're going to move to electric vehicles, at least as it stands now. Uh, if you live in some communities, you don't necessarily have to change that much. But uh, as we stand right now, you know, where I live, I live in Oklahoma and I live in rural Oklahoma. And it's a good 10 miles to my nearest gas station, let alone to my nearest electric vehicle charger.
2: I, I love how you presented this whole thing. It's kind of like we were prepared for this, and we did a little bit. i mean we 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 did talk a little bit about this before starting the recording button. and And I love exactly this, taking your experience in the the gasoline and and uh, industry and and then see what we have learned there and how we can move forward. and we mentioned infrastructure, you already did. Um, yeah, I, I'm having the same kind of issue even if I'm in LA so you will think like it's easier to charge your car but still like I don't feel that when you drive a lot you can completely depend on on the electric because of the timing of recharge and I think that's what has been holding off a little bit the this industry together with how long can you travel how far can you go with the charge on an electric car I guess so this is great and and you touch on a point. I want to. I want to talk starting from the past. So you mentioned biodiesel was invented a long time ago. I heard that the electric car was the first car was electric, and then That's we correct. went right. Okay, so yep. see, I knew. I know a couple of uh, nuggets here and there. So <laughs> let, let let's talk about that maybe if you want to. And how how did we get to use so conveniently uh gasoline and that kind of engine versus the electric one and now how we're going back to first circle what can we use from what we have learned and apply it to something that is actually better for the environment maybe
3: yeah well you know back to that what what we used to do the first refineries in the united states weren't designed to build gasoline or diesel, they were kerosene for lamp lighting. So, so when you look at when you look at how we've looked at energy and our energy usage, it's all about when does technology come, and how to, and what technology wins. Um, you know, we saw that with VHS versus Beta um, tapes when we were starting to do that first part. Even though Beta was out there and it was the first to market, it wasn't necessarily the one that took off for a variety of reasons. And, and we have to look at those reasons. So, you know, it comes in with, well, did Henry Ford build a better car? Did BMW do a better car? If you go back to Daimler Chrysler way back when, who had the better car and how did society pick which one it is? We see that right now with the electric vehicle, too, in that have we really standardized chargers yet? I haven't looked at it enough to actually know because I'm not in the market for an electric vehicle just yet. So I don't know if I can go to any charger To be able to charge my battery,
2: I can answer that. Unless you have, if you have a Tesla, you can because they make their proprietary charging. But if you don't have a Tesla, you can't use that yet. Maybe you will. So there is already a selling point there. Why? Why one thing prevail over one brand prevail over the other, right? Yeah,
3: exactly. So that's that's an issue that that hasn't sorted itself out yet. Um, and the battery technology, you know, that was our challenge back in the set or in the late 70s, early 80s, with the was was batteries, and it was also cost to manufacture solar cells. One of the reasons solar cells had a high cost to manufacture, and now that cost has come down so much that solar is is very economical, and your battery technology is starting to catch up. Uh, you start looking at the batteries and and batteries aren't glamorous. So when you're dealing with technology, everybody wants to study the glamorous thing. Gasoline's not glamorous. So the, the, you know, how we refine to get gasoline hasn't changed a whole lot since the the 40s. That, you know, the big technologies that you see to go into a refinery was really to remove sulfur to make gasoline more environmentally friendly to, so that when you burned the gasoline, you didn't produce sulfur dioxide, you didn't produce the NOx, you didn't produce the air pollution. And, and so those were the technologies that we put into the refineries in the late 80s and early 90s. And it hasn't, we really, you know, we're still making gasoline the same way we made gasoline at the turn of the, the 1900s. We just, our refineries are focused on gasoline and diesel over kerosene. You know, they used to be kerosene. So it's so what, what technology is gonna win has to do with people's behavior and has to do with their priorities. And one of the challenges that we have here in the United States is just how are we gonna get the electricity from the generation point to the car, to whatever it is we're do, doing. And are we gonna be able to have the same sets of freedoms because the infrastructure isn't there yet and our infrastructure is aging. Um, part of our challenge with renewables right now, it, you know, here in Oklahoma, we're the second largest wind producer of energy. Um, we, we're behind Texas, but that's because Texas has more land than Oklahoma does. But, um, but our, our grid structure in Oklahoma only allows us to per, put on certain kinds of wind turbines. So those wind turbines we, we, we have, so as they evaluate new projects, we actually have to evaluate the electric grid. And is our electric grid capable of handling the electricity that we're gonna need and gonna use? And are we ultimately getting it to the end user, which could be the renewable charging station or it could be your house or vice versa? You know, we know people like where you're at in California, they have a lot of solar cells. Well, some communities have stopped the addition of adding solar to your house because the grid can't handle the reverse production. Hawaii is another place where they're having that challenge that they have so much solar on homes that the electric grid to go to other places just can't handle that smart, that smart meter to be able to have that, that electricity brought back. So that's a challenge for us. So we're we're looking at the grid, and and you have the same kind of infrastructure problem in gasoline. I start with gasoline because people understand pipelines. They they've we've had them around for a long time. People don't understand the electric grid, and so you can look at the electric grid as an electric pipeline, but it's a different electric pipe. You know, it's a different kind of pipeline because that electron that is used for electricity has to be used the instant it's generated. So there's a lot of balancing that has to go out onto the grid to make the grid effective. So that's why you have a lot of discussion about what they call baseline loads and what kind of technologies we're using for baseline, whether it's a natural gas powered power plant, a coal fired power plant, nuclear power plant. You have a lot of that because you got to have this base load, but then you can turn on wind instantaneously if there's wind, but then some days there isn't wind. And then you've got hydro and you've got solar as well
2: and and you have to find a way as you said to to store that energy so that you can use it when there is no wind or there is no sun or it it seems easy to understand where you store gasoline because it's liquid or where you 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 store gas I guess yeah but and it's relatively easy to transport. I'm not saying it's not dangerous because you know it's very flammable and all of that. But you can put it somewhere, and then transfer it somewhere else, and then then you have it. You can even carry it on on a tank uh, in, in your car, in your truck, just in case you run out of it. So where I'm going with this is convenience. And yep. we talk a lot about cybersecurity on ITSP magazine. That's how we started. And the adoption of things like, you know, multi-factor authentication for the everyday user or many, many things like, yeah, but people want to have convenience. They don't want to have the extra hurdle to, even if it's better, even if it's better, they're still like, <laughs> oh man, I, you know, and we're talking about security here. We're talking about using, you know, somebody stealing your password and login information to get into your bank. But but then you brought some really good example on what about I'm going to go on a trip and uh, how fast can I recharge my car? Can I even recharge my car? So can we, is there an interest because it's convenience, but it's also money. So let's, let's go there too. Can you convert, let's say how you said, you know, we, we used to use the refinery for the gas lamp, right? Or, or Is that what you said at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. And then we we started right. So the lamp oil, they turn it into this, change the technology, but we use the basic existing structure for that, an infrastructure. Is there a, a reason why gas company could convert into their existing infrastructure gas station? I mean, I drive around. I'm like, why are they not giving charger? been LA, right? <laughs> California. Why is there a charger in that gas station? I'm still going to pay the, the extra. So what's the, is there a future there of an interest that, that comes together and unify industries?
3: Well, I think there will be, um, and that, and eventually, you know, you, you saw that change as as the country grew and the gas stations grew. Because historically, you, you know, you were still, if you were out in the country, you'd still see horse-drawn carriages. Um, you know, when gasoline cars first came into existence, and or they would be carrying their extra gasoline with them, or their diesel, whichever one they had. But but you would be doing that. We're starting to see it. The big thing is the dollars and the and the baseline load. So we know there's got to be a critical mass before independent companies are going to say all right I'm going to put in xyz in terms of a charger so it in order for tesla to do what tesla did they had to invest in infrastructure to help sell their cars so that's right. what you know that's one of the reasons that they did that back in the 80s and early 90s when they were trying to convert from gasoline to say compressed, natu- compressed natural gas or propane gas. You know, fleet vehicles ended up doing that because it was an easier an easier thing to deal with. That's why one of the things that you're hearing right now is that with the United States Postal Service to look at electric vehicles for the post office. Mm-hmm. Because number one, they're going a shorter distance. Number two, they've got a place to go charge at night and you can take an entire fleet and it makes it worthwhile to build the infrastructure to put in the charging stations. Well, now you're trying to deal with that with a whole distributed system that everybody's got wants to have their own transportation. How are you going to implement it? So, if right now, if you go to the um there's a website that you can actually go to from the, the government that give you the alternative fueling. So they give you compressed natural gas, they give you electric, electric they give you um, propane, they give you all, you know, biodiesel, and they can tell you where you can find these, these renewable refueling stops. Well, if I'm in between Washington, D.C. and New York, there's a lot of them. If I'm in Southern California, there's a lot of them. But if you're trying to go from Santa Barbara to San Francisco, eh, you know, it gets a little touchy. Because you're because you're in that farm area, it gets a little different. But but if you look at Oklahoma, um, it's real touchy. You know, you know there's there's certain parts of the state that there isn't one there, and that's where. And you look at Wyoming, same thing. You're going to run into these these different areas of the country. So you're going to have different levels of adoption. The adoption's going to happen faster in certain places. Um, you, you've already seen it in some cities. I used to, when I gave my talk, I used to go around the nation and you'd go to different places and people would ask you, well, why don't you have an electric vehicle? Well, I don't have an electric vehicle and I don't have a hybrid because I live in rural Oklahoma and I and at the time I was pulling around horse trailers. And you know, an electric car wasn't designed to pull around a horse trailer. I have livestock. Uh, now, of course, you have the electric trucks. You've got a lot more things. But you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that electric truck to be able to pull livestock just wasn't wasn't available, and so that wasn't going to work for me. And that's what we're going to have to start seeing is it's going to have to work for the the different the different populations, or we're going to adapt and change our behavior. Because we did that before. We adapted from horses to cars. Um, certain communities are adapting back to walkable communities. They're adapting to more um, public transportation. Certain cities in the United States are not good for public transportation. Other cities are great for public transportation. And it's just going to be, how do the different populations adapt to what we have going?
2: Well, as it's, it's, uh, Ford said, the that- if it was going to listen to the consumer, they want a faster horse and he gave exactly. them a car, right? <laughs> so uh, at a certain point, you need that innovator that kind of sees the future. I can think about Steve Jobs with what he did with Apple, you know, and you, you didn't need, you need a smartphone, but there you go, we all now do. So let let me ask you this. Is it is it something that is changing, on your opinion, like a tipping point that is happening where now the adoption of electric cars, uh, trucks, you said, is, is telling you that we, we have we had that tipping point momentum. And I'm, I'm going there because I am seeing a lot of pickup trucks, big trucks that now are going electric and they go for 400 miles and if you have a smaller car you're not so my technology curiosity is like well cuz you can put more battery there right you have more surface and i think that's the same reason why you put it on a on an on a bus or on a 18 wheelers right so if we go there where people that work the 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 postal service and I think the Amazon delivery and UPS and all of these are embracing this. Isn't aren't we at that point where somebody's gonna say, you know, that is, there's is no going back.
3: We're getting there. Um, I would say the tipping. I said we're just ahead of the tipping point. Because you're already looking at the number, if you start looking at the percentages of electric vehicles, you start looking at the percentages of that, that that aspect, you're already starting to see it in renewable generation. Two things are driving us um, in terms of electric generation. You've had regulation, and of course, there's you know, today we're we're still listening to the the global climate meeting that's happening in, in Egypt right now. So you're starting to see some of that coming in. But I can already tell you the auto manufacturers are saying by 20 to 45, they're not going to produce a gas powered vehicle. Um, If you're looking for your day to day driver, there's a lot of us that are sitting there going, we've probably bought either our last or our second to the last gas powered vehicle um, as a as a regular as a regular driver for what we're dealing with. So. I, we're not at that tipping point yet, but we're getting really, really close. And the big question is, it's like the technologies like you brought up, you know, we, when we first adopted smartphones, they were the Blackberries, and, you know, BlackBerry had 90% of the market they were out there. They got us addicted to the phone. Then Steve Jobs got us our iPhones. And then and then we, we we're all hooked on our smartphones and, and being able to do something with a smartphone. We are we're seeing that portion and the you know, you're seeing that disruption. We're at that disruption point. We don't necessarily know who's gonna win out. So if you're looking at it from a business perspective, you know that's happening. And that's part of some of us that are savvy or early adopters, you know, if you're an early adopter, you've already jumped onto the electric vehicle bandwagon, or you had the Prius early on. And depending on where you live, the Prius was perfect. I mean, because, because of how that the technology in that vehicle was just absolutely wonderful. But, but then there are those of us that go, wait a second, who's going to win out? That's the beta versus VHS argument. You know, who's going to win out? And that's and so there's some people that are holding back from that but you're already seeing regulations uh, California is pushing to to remove the gas powered vehicles you're already hearing from the big automakers that that they've already got it scheduled for for the when they're going to go out and so it's humming it, it's coming we just don't know exactly what that future is going to look like in 10 years
2: mm. is there a, another player there i sometimes i, I hear some company I think BMW was talking about jumping on the hydrogen, liquid hydrogen wagon versus. (laughs) So now I'm not a chemist and not a physicist. That's why I'm asking you. Is that actually easier for the conversion into electric? Can, can, Can you tell me that? Well, the hydrogen, this is about one of it. those. Yeah,
3: this is one of those that I'm puzzled by, um, because we looked at that. You know, this is again, you know, everything's old as new again. Um, mm-hmm. thing about hydrogen, hydrogen is an interesting material. And there's a couple of ways you can produce hydrogen. Um, one is using it from petroleum. Uh, that's using something that they call a reformer and a fuel cell, so you can use a fuel cell. And so fuel cell technologies is, an, uh, is a way that you can actually have a hydrogen powered vehicle. There are folks that are working on hydrogen powered vehicles and they've been working on hydrogen powered vehicles. So that's not unusual. It's just, a, again, it's how you're going to produce that hydrogen that's going to be in there. There's a couple of technology problems that you have to overcome. One is to produce hydrogen. It takes uh, nice precious metals to do that so it's gonna be a little bit more expensive if you're going the fuel cell route. So that's a challenge. And the other issue is just how do you keep the hydrogen in the vehicle? It's, it's very much a similar issue to gasoline. It, hydrogen is a very small atom. And when you are using hydrogen, hydrogen has a tendency to, because it is a small atom, it has a tendency to be, you have to take it, to keep it in the pipe. You have to do a few things that you wouldn't necessarily have to do with like gasoline or doing something else. So Oklahoma is looking at hydrogen, hydrogen um, production again, and they're looking at fuel cells. But they're also looking at that maybe more exactly like what we do with buses, natural gas powered buses. Um, you know, maybe it's a fleet vehicle solution. Maybe it, you know, is it going to be that solution for everybody who wants to drive a vehicle? I don't know. And I, I'm thinking the electric vehicle is where we're all going to be, but that's my guess. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. So, you know, they may, we may solve those technical issues with hydrogen, but I, I foresee hydrogen being more of a fleet option or more of that energy storage because again if we're generating electricity via solar or wind if we can store it and put it back onto the grid that may be what we need to do and it may be hydrogen may be part of our energy storage solution um because you know you're not going to necessarily yeah you can have big battery banks but again batteries aren't aren't glamorous and so it gets people to go into research to look at batteries you, you're going to have, you still have to solve that that energy storage problem. And that may be where hydrogen comes into play.
2: Well, it sure went a, a long way since uh, Volta and, the, and those frogs, right? Oh, yeah, you got <laughs> it. You got it. <laughs> I, I love to watch how technology came into into place. I'm a little bit of a geek on that one. Let me ask you something, because it makes me think when you talk about renewing and changing Adapting the infrastructure to what is coming. So I'm thinking um, fast train, right? Coming from Italy, I remember it was, you know, train is a big part of this, as it was in this country for a long time. I mean, that's where they develop uh, most of the train industry. And and I remember, you know, uh, green parties not wanted to drill a hole through the through the Nino, because we were disrupting things. But look, it's like, okay, but if we have a fast train, then people are gonna take that to, instead of taking four hours to go to Milan from, from Florence, it's gonna take two hours, an hour and 45 minutes. So it's gonna be, when you when you sum things, negative and positive, it's gonna be a positive factor, right? And finally they did it. I mean, I've been in Japan and you can go in two hours or less from Kyoto to Tokyo. So once you've done it, you're like, all right, cool. Why well, didn't do it before. <laughs> so if we do need that, how much it's politics really versus science where you know that, look, this is what really is going to work and you're not going to regret it. It's kind of like the quick buck now versus a better future. So I'm going to go idealistic, but that's what I do. So what's your take on that?
3: Well, I, I you're talking to a train buff. I just took my grandchildren. <laughs> uh, I took my two my two grandsons, my two oldest grandsons. We did a round the trip from Chicago to L. A. from L. A. to San Francisco and back to oh, Chicago. Nice. So <laughs> nice. I, I am a train buff. I am I'm one of those people that when I did go to Europe, I went on the TGV. So <laughs> so I think I you know I do think public transportation it is definitely. A, a way that we're going to to solve several problems. But we but here in the US, we're not necessarily really good at it uh, across the country and that's a real challenge for us. And and I would like to see, I personally would like to see the trains come back, but I'm a train buff. So it's, you know, it's not I'm with you. It's a little, I am with you. <laughs> it, it, you know, I go on train time when I get on the train to me it's one of the most relaxing, easiest ways to deal with it. And certainly, I know. And certainly at certain I cities. Know. You know, I don't you have get...
2: to worry about anything. Exactly. <laughs> we were in Switzerland. This uh, I went to visit the technical institute there. Uh, and uh, and we were in Zurich for, for a week. So we took almost every day a train to go visit other city. And you get there so fast on time. I was like reading on the train. I was chilling. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not driving. Actually, <laughs> you know what? No, I no, know? no,
3: and and I love and, it. You know, and if I'm if I'm in California, I would take the train from um from LA to San Francisco quite a bit because it was just a much nicer way to get there. I don't have to go through that airport. I don't have to drive the car. <laughs> so it's it. I think we're going to see some of that starting up. We, we already started seeing more sharing. Um, if you're in Boston, you do see vehicle sharing now, and it's electric vehicle sharing. So you're starting to see some of the, the trends. And as society, society changes, I think we're going to see more and more of that. And it's just a matter of we're going to have to give up a little bit of freedoms. But on, on the other hand, we may be gaining freedoms because we've seen that uh, historically as well. Um, you see that when you're dealing with societal issues, when we were talking about accessibility, And then you saw things go in that were more accessible. Well, it was more accessible for everybody. Um, So you start looking that by dealing with that accessibility, if we can make public transportation more accessible, I think we're gonna start seeing people use it more. Um, I was just reading an interesting article about the the Lola Prieta earthquake in San Francisco when they were talking about how they, they had to close down one of the major traffic routes. And because they closed down the major traffic routes after that earthquake because they had to repair the infrastructure, people used the public transportation. And when they reopened it, people didn't use the infrastructure anymore. They had gotten used to using the, the area transport. They'd gotten used to using the alternatives. And they got used to they got used to the workarounds. And so it reduced the congestion in downtown San Francisco. It reduced the traffic jams getting in, and people were more willing to use. the the area transport. And it got, you know, for first week, it was kind of a madhouse. But after that, it was much more reliable and and people utilized the system. you know, we were we were just like when I took my grandchildren, we we spent time in San Francisco and we used public transportation the whole time we were there. So it was great. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to get public transportation in rural Oklahoma. (laughs)
2: Well, it's it's tough in LA too. That's why you need you need the car to go everywhere. But I think there there was some in very big interest. I heard some stories in the fifties and sixties of where we had something, and now that you don't have it anymore, and now we're gonna build it back again because you know <laughs> we have to do that. Um, one more thing, and and I agree with you about the adoption, right? I mean, people don't like change. It's, oh, uh, this is not how I used to do things. Well, you know, if we go by that, then we'll still be going around in horses or walking, uh, actually, and <laughs> even with horses. So, th- the next thing that I'm thinking is, I don't want to go to the space, although I love space and NASA, I'm a big NASA fan, but let- let's go in between. So, airplanes, I've been Hearing that now there are already companies that are putting out commercial hybrid airplanes, so so electricity, meaning electric motors, they do have the power to really power pretty much anything that the gas is powering. Am I correct, or even more power?
3: Well, that I'm really not. A, you know, I'm not as familiar with that. I haven't been following what's been going on with the electric airplanes yet. Uh, just have it I just don't have the time or the space to be able to no, no. hit
2: that particular I, I'm know. talking about about output like you know when yeah. you think about okay you need you need a uh, liquid hydrogen to put a rocket into space because you need that incredible power so I'm thinking even to make an airplane take off you're going to need that so a lot of people may think like yeah well electric it's, it's a battery it's for my phone and but then you get in an electric car like wow this thing is fast.
3: <laughs> yeah and and the and the other thing is is your battery technology is also the weight ratios that are in there. I know there are people that are working on it. I'm just not as that's just not mm-hmm. my area of expertise.
2: Okay. All right, cool. Well, I I I was reading that it's it's another thing that could could happen cuz our plane traffic it's really polluting quite Quite a bit anyway. Yeah, so. they,
3: they, and 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 you're seeing you're seeing right now a, a fundamental shift in air in air travel um it, we're also you know the last couple of years have changed our behavior we're doing more you know more electronic communication we're not seeing is you know is, is business travel going to come back the way it was I don't think so. Um, people are also not as willing to travel, you know, when the weather's bad. So, you know, we had, I, I was trying to get on a plane last Friday and all of Dallas Fort Worth was, was, uh, shut in because of, of weather. And so I know we're starting to have to encounter, encounter those issues as well. So air, air travel is going to be an interesting one to watch. I just haven't been following it very much anymore.
2: Mm, See, If you like, uh, We've talked a lot about electric, renewable energy, and all of that, and and but I'm also thinking about all the 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 notes that I had before we we started this conversation. And I know that your older talk was about what goes in the price of gasoline, and I think people are wondering now more than ever. I mean, maybe in the 70s, what it was being like the crisis up and down with OPEC and all of that stuff, but. And people may may wonder now, like, you know, why am I spending 80 plus bucks to fill up my car when, you know, three months ago I was filling up with maybe 60 or something like that. So I would love to hear from you in in, just to finish our conversation. What goes in the price of gasoline? (laughs) Why is it so expensive? Tell me that.
3: Yeah, so so one of the interesting things about gasoline is is the base price is based on the crude oil price so when you listen to crude oil change up and down you do hear that the base price is is related to to the base what goes into crude oil and i used to always compare a gallon of gas with uh, bottled water you know because if you start thinking about buying bottled water i'm buying you know if i buy a gallon that's for essentially four liters of water that you're buying mm-hmm. and you know you're still getting it at a at a fairly reasonable price and you're powering your car but the other part of it is the manufacturing that you're going in and you're pulling out you got transportation costs because we use transportation through the pipelines getting it from point a to point b um, because you're not producing the oil at the location where you've got the refinery that's actually producing it You've put in a lot of, with gasoline, we put in a lot of sulfur removal technology. You have put in a lot of that technology piece. So there is a chunk of piece of technology. But actually what's going into your price of gasoline, a lot of people don't realize just how much taxes go in there. And so you have state and federal and 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 uh, local taxes, because I can see in California when I was out in L.A., you go you go from one town to the next and you're going, wait a second. I know you're getting it from the exact same refinery. There's not that big a difference in transportation, but you've gone through one city limit or one county to another. And you do get you do get that piece of it. So, so you, the taxes are a piece. And that's actually kind of an interesting piece with the electric vehicles, because electric vehicles are users of the road and they're not paying that road tax. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting overall social mm. structure of, of where is that tax going to come in? So you get that piece of it. And, and, and fundamentally, you know, your gas station is not making the profit um, the, the profit for your gas station or your convenience stores in the soda pop. That's where they're going to get their extra, their, extra, you know, the, it's the gasoline is there to get somebody there at the convenience store and the soda pop is where they're going to make their money. And, and that's, that's where they're going to get it. But the big thing when people saw what went in our infrastructure so, for example, there are no refineries in the southeastern portion of the United States. They're on the Gulf Coast or they're up in um, Pennsylvania. They're up in that area. So, you have that, that aspect. Well, there's nothing in Georgia. There's nothing in Mississippi. So, when you have a hurricane that shuts down the pipeline, there's no way to get the gasoline into that infrastructure. And that's why, and it's a supply and demand. And this, this, this time of year, going from September to October, you're changing from summer-grade gasoline to winter-grade gasoline. So inventories are kind of different balancing that you have to deal with that inventory piece because your gasoline needs to be different for summer and your gasoline needs to be different for winter. And we had some refineries down, and we just don't have the cap- refining capacity like we used to.
2: What? Okay, why does it need to be different?
3: Why does it need to be different? Because you're doing it for different air pollution controls. So in the summertime, you don't want to have as much VOCs go off when you're filling up your gas tanks. So you want to have the lower vapor pressures. Um, certain areas you don't you want to put in oxygenates so you don't have carbon monoxide that go into it. So you do get, so the um, California grade gasolines. California has certain different specs that they have to have for that uh, in LA and that LA basin so that you're not creating those pollutants that go out into the atmosphere. So you've got to, you've got to, and it's different from summer to winter.
2: So it's nothing to do with the performance of your car. It's not No it's not, not because it's cold car, or
3: <laughs> Yeah well well actually the, in one way it is it's because you want with vapor pressure it, in the winter time you have to have a little bit more vapor pressure to get it to spark In the summertime you don't because of the temperature. so you get you get yeah. a little bit different. so but with all the new electronics on the cars it's it's more it's more related to making sure you're not getting tailpipe emissions. And it's more related to the optimization for your your air your air um, just air pollution and air pollution controls.
2: And if you go electric, you don't have to change electricity for the winter and electricity. For no, summer. you wouldn't have so. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same one that you put to light up the Christmas tree. That's, that's you got main. it. You got it. Just just a lot more. Well, Frankie, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we talked about it, a relevant topic. A uh, little bit political, economical, scientifical, and societal. I think we touched a lot on that. And, and I got to be honest, I had quite some fun doing that. So thank you for, for explaining so many things in a very understandable way. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the audience of Redefining Technology and ITSP Magazine is appreciating it too.
3: Well, thank you for having me. And it's been a wonderful conversation.
2: I love it. I love it. Well, we we'll, we have a section of our, a new a new project, let's call it, it's called The Other Society on ITSP Magazine, where we do panels about certain topics and it's really expert like yourself. So I do want to do one about electric cars and about renewable energy. So I'm, I'm going to definitely make a note right now to to invite you to have that conversation because I, I really enjoy this, and I and I hope uh, that the audience did the same. And maybe you know we'll we'll hear from you again if you if you're willing to come back. I'm willing. All right, good. We got a deal. And uh, so that's it. Forty-one minutes right. of conversation that we hope everybody enjoyed. Stay tuned on ITSP Magazine. .com and in the particular, this is the Redefining Technology channel. So stay tuned, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. All right.
1: BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable, contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. CrowdSec, the
0: collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.